All right, we're going to be back into our text for this morning. And last week we, we began with this new series in, called Unleashed, where the gospel, the kingdom of God, has now been unleashed into our world. And, and it is so powerful in what we've seen. And, and last week we noticed Peter and John. And they're being threatened for speaking the name of Jesus Christ, going out and discipling, just as they had been discipled by Jesus himself. And we see their boldness. They were just, even though they were being threatened by these high up religious folks, they didn't care. They just, it was about the message. It was so important. But there's a lot of things that's happened since chapter 4 and the text that we're going to be dealing with this morning. In fact, the chapter leading up to ours, chapter 7, we find the first martyr. We find that these threats are no longer threats anymore. Stephen, who was, the Bible says, a man who was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He had been chosen to, to care for these widows that had been neglected. I mean, he was such a good man, but he is arrested for blasphemy. He is put on trial, and then he is stoned to death. And the text says something interesting as you come down to the end of chapter 7. And there is this man. And they, the, the men who are casting these stones and throwing them at Stephen, they put their coats at this man's feet. And then all of a sudden we learn of this, uh, this um, I know, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's crazy for me too. Uh, but anyway, so then we know that... Um, we, we are introduced to this, uh, this man, this mysterious man. It's, it's Paul, Saul, actually. And then Saul, all of a sudden, we see him in chapter 8, and, and he was not only for the stoning of Stephen, but he starts this great persecution against the church. They're in Jerusalem. And they're dragging out men and women, followers of Christ, throwing them into prison. They scatter. Everyone but, but the apostles, they get out of Jerusalem. And, and they go into this area of Judea and Samaria. And it's this one area of Samaria that we're really going to be looking at. But what I want us to notice is that here is just this terrible time seems to be in the church. The threats are no longer threats. People are being arrested. People are being martyred. And yet it says this. So those who were scattered went on their way proclaiming the message of good news. This kind of goes back to Peyton's class this morning and talking about going out and neighboring. And, and one of the lies it tells us is, well, when things get better, some of the lies, when things get better, that's when I'm going to get involved in, in sharing Jesus. Folks, it wasn't getting any better. It was just getting worse. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing that happens in the text because he goes, uh, they go and are scattered into this area of Samaria. Samaria, folks, that is a much-hated group of people among the Jewish people. They were considered half-breeds, if you will. They were considered people who were not doctrinally right. 
Because, look, they, they worshipped on a different mountain and a different temple. They worshipped the same God. And not only that, they, they took the first five books of the Old Testament and they said that was God's word. And they threw out 32 books. Said, we don't count that as being part of God's word. Folks, they were as far apart as you can imagine. And the Jews saw Samaritans as unclean. And they did everything they could to stay away from those regions. They did everything they could to, uh, to not interact with these folks. Because if they did, they were considered unclean. That's, that's just how they hated each other. And even the disciples of Jesus, they struggled with this. They're walking with Jesus. And, and evidently, they are not welcome. Jesus is not welcomed into this one particular village of the Samaritans. And James and John, James and John say to Jesus, don't you love this? When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Okay, that's not your typical response. Lord, do you want us to call down a drone, you know, to, uh, to, to blow up the whole place? I mean, that's in essence exactly what they're saying here. This is how much they hated these people. And yet Jesus in John chapter 4, he has this encounter with this Samaritan woman at a well. And even she's surprised Jesus is talking to her because he's a Jew. And it says, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And what's amazing is when Jesus comes in to play here, this woman becomes a believer of his. She believes he's the Messiah, the one who is to come. And not only that, it says the whole town came out. And after hearing and listening to Jesus, they said, this is the Messiah who is to come. And I guarantee you, that plays into the mind of those who are being scattered into these areas. Because this was not an area that a Jew wanted to go. This story is important for us because it's what's happening in Acts Jesus said, this is what is going to happen. And had it not been for the persecution, we might even say they may not have gone. I don't know. But there may be a case here to say, had it not been for these things, they were very content to stay in Jerusalem, the holy city, and listen to the apostles teach and commune with one another. And those were all wonderful blessings. But Jesus didn't call us just to commune together and talk about how great things are. He meant for this message also to be shared. And that's what we see all through here. In fact, let's just go to chapter 8. I want to notice. Uh, we'll begin in verse 5. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria and preached the Messiah to them. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said as they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Folks, do you see what is happening? It is the discipleship model in 3D. We see that as they are being scattered... By persecution, they're going and continuing to give the good news of Jesus Christ. And then what, what Luke does, the writer here, he focuses in on one of those who were scattered, Philip. 
and what is happening here in this particular text. And what we find is that they, these people are hearing this, they're seeing this, and they, not, they believe in this good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ. And we also find out as a result of what they're hearing, they're baptized. Man, this is fantastic stuff. But Luke wants to single out one of the new converts. Just as he singled out Philip of those who were scattered, he's now going to single out the crowds who have come to Christ. And we pick up our reading in verse 9. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. Wow. They were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and miracles that were being performed. Now, folks, this is just an interesting narrative all the way around, is it not? Here is Simon, and he is doing some kind of sorcery or magic of some type. It was so much that the people called him the power of God. And it's very possible what he was doing was supernatural. But it would not have been from God. It would have been from demonic. And we know from what we just read that there were these demons that were a part in that particular area. And they were being cast out. But what I thought was interesting is at some point here you have Simon and here you have Philip. And they're out there and they're showing this, these great powers and they're speaking about God. And the crowds realize there's a difference. There is a difference in this guy that they had always had followed for a very long time than this power that Philip has, which we know is the power of the Spirit of God. And what's even more amazing is that Philip, I mean that Simon, even he sees the difference. And it says he came and he believed and he was baptized. And then Luke gives us a little detail in here that kind of sets us up for what's about to happen. He says that he followed Philip around and he's amazed by all of these wonders and miracles that he's doing. So we begin reading in verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's message, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power too, so that I, if anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Mm. Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right with God. 
Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Please pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Things just kind of went sideways, didn't they? We start with Peter and John. They are hearing about what's happening in Samaria. And they are amazed. They want to see what's happening. They want to go and see it firsthand. Folks, this was a big deal. This was a really big deal. And this is one of the great things about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that its intent is to take all people, no matter if they're Jews or half Jews, or whether they are Gentiles, no Jew in them at all, whether they are male or female, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And there is this uniting that happens. It's so powerful. And Peter and John, they want to come see it. Now, as a side note, did you find it interesting that they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, despite the fact that they all had believed and had been baptized? And Luke doesn't tell us exactly why it happened that way. I think if we pull back from the book of Acts and we kind of look at it as a whole, we got a good idea, which is anytime there was this news spreading in a very a different area, there was this, this unique work of the Spirit. Uh, we saw it with the Jews, and they have a Sinai moment is what they really have. And there is this mighty rushing wind and these cloven tongues of fire, and the Holy Spirit comes and they're speaking in tongues. And this was some powerful stuff. Later on, when it's finally given to the Gentiles we find the, those first converts that they received the Holy Spirit before they were ever baptized. And the reason is so they could ask, can anyone deny them this baptism? This baptism is important for what it represents for in this uniting together with Christ and each other. And the answer they could only give is, if the Holy Spirit's involved here, it's got, no, they cannot be denied. So I really believe here they are in Samaria. They're in this new place. And so there is this new working of the Spirit. But there's, there's no indication here about Simon as whether or not he had received the Spirit of God, had not received the Spirit of God. He wants to purchase the power not to receive the Spirit, but to give the Spirit. This is the problem that we're seeing here in this text. I really believe he received the Holy Spirit just like everyone else did. The, the apostles laid hands on them as well. But Simon had some political ambitions. We see that as to who he was before and how the people had at one time followed him. He wanted to have the kind of authority and the power that the apostles of Jesus had, but it was not his to give. Peter reacts in a very quick in dismissive and judgmental way, does he not? And he says, may your silver be destroyed with you. And maybe he's got in mind, I kind of tend to think that maybe he does, that Simon reminds him a little bit of Judas, who sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And that he had been given an allotment as one of the 12 in the ministry of Christ. But as we know from this first chapter in the book of Acts, only God can choose who is given that allotment. But he's wanting to purchase it with money. 
This was serious, folks. And Peter pointed out the issue. He said, Simon, it's your heart. Even though Peter condemned Simon, he still holds out hope for him. I believe that because he tells him to repent of your sinfulness. Pray that God will forgive you. But we hear this story and we're like, okay, that doesn't sound like what's happened here. That's not exactly how things happen with me. What does this have to do with us? And I believe what I find from this is the fact of new converts have baggage. We all have baggage when we come to Christ. And I think that's why Jesus said before he ever sent them out that they were to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then he says to teach them. Keep teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Telling people about Jesus and baptizing them, that is not the goal. At least that's not the end. We continue to walk with them. We continue to teach them along the way. And folks, that is the discipleship model. Not only are we to be about bringing people out of this darkness to the cross of Jesus, but we continue to walk with one another as we await the glory of Christ. And it's really supposed to be this beautiful, beautiful picture now, there's a lot of debate over Simon. Some say, well, I don't really believe that he was truly converted. I believe it was an intellectual belief and, and not a true one. And then there are others that say, no, I think he just had a lot of baggage. And that's where I am in this. Group. I believe he had a lot of baggage. I believe he had a lot to overcome. There is no indication that he had not received the Spirit. Peter and John do not tell him, you need to truly believe. They did not tell him he needs to be rebaptized. What they did tell him is to restore by repenting, by praying for forgiveness. Folks, we all come to Christ with baggage. And receiving the Spirit of God, it, it, it doesn't take away all the issues in our lives. It does not take away all the patterns of our lives that we have lived in the flesh. Scriptures just keep talking about this battle between the flesh and the Spirit. But I will say this, that we cannot break any of these things without the Spirit. But that it is an ongoing process in our lives. And it is something that we continue to do through our time here in this physical, sinful world that we live. In Galatians, Paul disciples Peter. Peter, the guy that just told him what he told him, really got up in his face kind of thing. Paul had gotten up in Peter's face. You know why? Because he needed to be discipled. Even though he had a measure of the Spirit that you and I cannot quite understand, even he still was dealing with certain things. And one of the things that Peter was dealing with is abandoning these Gentile Christians because of what other people thought. So we all have this time of discipleship. 
And what that means is that we come alongside of people. Now, it's easy for us to talk about them. It's easy for us to tell all the things wrong with them. It's a totally different thing when we find someone who's caught up in a wrongdoing. And the spiritual restore that person with a gentle spirit. And that while we do it, we watch out for ourselves so that we won't be tempted, but we carry one another's burdens. That in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Discipling others is messy. We've, we've talked about this before. It's just messy. It just is. Of all the people who came to Christ in that Samaritan city, it, I th- tend to think Simon is the one who had the most baggage. Some people come with small, small bags, right? And then there's those that got big bags. They've got the whole set. And he may have the most to change. You know, here is this guy. He was used to the people listening to him. People once thought that he had the great power of God, and he is struggling to let that go in his life. Before, his identity was in the power that he demonstrated, but now what he is to learn and be discipled about is it's not the power, but the source of the power that we focus on. He wanted the attention of the people. But really, to be discipled, that means you want the attention of God. To be in his presence. Can we, as new Christians, and even those of us who've been Christians a long time, can can we struggle in similar ways? Sometimes people come in and, we, and they learn about this great power of God and, and healing and all of these wonderful things. And, and so they seek this in their life. And that's the most important thing to them. And, and if they don't get it the way they want it, they're discouraged and they leave. It's not about the healing. It's the one who has the power to heal. We can be like that with forgiveness. You know, we, we want to be forgiven of sins. I mean, sinfulness is awful. And I think that's a good motivation for us to have but at the same time we can forget about the one who loved us so much that he willingly died he came into his own creation to let his creation murder him we can get so caught up in i want to go to heaven or i don't want to go to hell and we forget about what it's all about living in the presence of christ for eternity and we can lose that focus. And new Christians, they need to continue to be discipled. To understand it's not just about knowing a list of names in the Bible. And, and you can tell things about their lives. It's about how that reflects. What is it saying about God? What is it saying for God to say towards me? If you bring a drug addict... To Christ, they have, I believe, all the intent in the world to be clean and never do it again. And they may even say, I'll never do this again. But you might be surprised that after they become a Christian, sometime after they have a relapse. And we can sit there and we can say, well, you know what, they didn't truly believe. We can say, well, you know what, they, they, uh, they just didn't receive the Spirit of God. 
or you can come alongside them and you can disciple them. And that may mean some sleepless nights. That may mean that you're going to pray like you've never prayed in your life. But it means taking up time to help build people up in Christ. What about sharing the gospel with someone who has been used to most of their life a, a party life? They're going to struggle because there will always be that struggle with the people they always considered friends. And, and they will always continue to pull them into that particular direction. And so we have to come alongside them and first of all, make sure they have these new companions in Christ. Teach them moderation. Teach them that some things are not appropriate. And it could be a lot of things. People come in and struggle with a lot of things. We often think about the big things or what we call big things. It could be people who struggle with their money or anger or sexual immorality or jealousy or resentment or a host of other things we all come to Jesus with baggage some bring more than others like Simon but as we continue to grow in the spirit we are to help others in that journey and we're to be strong on sin and we're just to be just as strong in that love the ultimate goal is to glorify the risen Christ in the midst of those who have been rescued and those who have been transformed. And so the real question is, where do you fit on this spectrum? Are you that person that you need Jesus? You're just like these Samaritans, really, like all of us have been. And we need to be rescued from our sinfulness. Maybe the person on the spectrum is you're that person who is sharing the news with people who are searching. People that you may not even know are searching. I don't think the Samaritans necessarily were saying, boy, I wish a Jew would come in here and tell us how to do things. Or maybe, maybe you're the person on the spectrum that, that you are a Christian. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're, you're someone, though, regardless of how long you've been a believer in Jesus Christ that you still have baggage that you're still dealing with and you need people to come alongside of you and maybe you're the person that that person needs to come alongside and to disciple them and to help them in, in, in any way so we all find ourselves somewhere on that spectrum to say we do none of those, we're not involved in any of those, means that we're just not involved in the unleashing of the Spirit of God and of the message of the kingdom and the good news of Jesus Christ. So for some, they need to learn more about faith, maybe. Some, they're ready to be baptized. For some, they, they are trying to grow in their faith and, and in the spirit and they're continuing to struggle with these things. And they need to learn more about how do I capture the spirit of God? What are, what are practices, disciplines in my own life? And some, some just need to get busy doing the work of Christ 
Ephesians 2 tells us that we're saved by the grace of God, but then it says that he created all of us in his grace to do his work. So the question is, where are you on the spectrum? Is there a way we can help you? If so, you can come later, you can come at another time, you can set up time talk with me, or it may be something you're ready to do right now. As together we stand.